0: I'm Kevin Rowe, founder of two seven-figure SEO companies and SEO industry advocate, with ideas featured in Fast Company, Forbes, Search Engine Journal, Search Engine Land, and SMX. I'm passionate that the SEO industry is in dire need of change to sustain industry growth and improve SEO's ability to drive real business impact. This is the future of SEO. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining today. I have a very special guest with a very special topic. I have Rand Fishkin. Um, Rand, would you mind, although I'm sure many of the people on here uh, know who you are, would you mind giving an introduction and a little bit about your background?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. So I am a uh, college dropout, the uh, co-founder of a company called Moz, which is obviously in the SEO software space. Um, I was the, uh, the founder there and then CEO for a long time, uh, stepped down a few years ago and then left that company in 2018, published a book, Austin Founder, and then uh, started a new company called Spark Toro, which is what I'm up to today. Uh, have that company's product has been live for about six months, and SparkToro is in the audience intelligence space. So I'm I'm a couple years removed from being in the ac- being actively in the SEO world, but I have uh, done a lot of speaking and research and um, discussion and amplification of topics. I, I would say related to uh, maybe a bird's eye view of the search market and um, a heavy critic of Google's monopoly in search, especially the abuse of their monopoly in search. I think that um, is something a lot of folks know me for from the last couple of years, including some publications like less than half of all Google searches result in a click Mm -hmm. and how Google is um, dominating more and more searches by making themselves and Alphabet's companies, the primary beneficiary of Google search traffic. So that's sort of my my relationship to the to the SEO world and, and SparkToro, as I mentioned, in, is in the audience intelligence sphere. So we gather lots of data from sort of the social web and uh, aggregate that information and anonymize it and then present it to folks so that you can find what podcasts your audience listens to or what they uh, what YouTube channels they follow and subscribe to, who are they following on social, what websites are they reading, what do they engage with, all those kinds of things in the hopes that many marketers, Kevin, might think more broadly than just Google and Facebook when they think about where to do their marketing.
0: Yeah, um, that was a really good synopsis. And, and that's why I wanted to talk to you, and that's why I invited you on, is because you know, you've know, you been, over the years, um, you've been one of the few people that I think are vocally against Google's bullying and the, the negative things that Google's doing. And there's been a lot of SEOs out there that yeah, you know, I think pander. Uh, I hate to use that word right now, but they do pander to Google a little too much, and yeah. and take Google's. I've been calling them Muellerites lately more than not, and it's like they, they used to be called cutlets. Cutlets, yeah, <laughs> yeah. cutlets or Muellerites, and and they just listen to Google so um, you know and, and follow their word to the T, and I think it's hurting the SEO industry, and yeah. that's that's the topic we're going to talk about today, and. And that's really stop listening to Google and tolerating your bullying. And I I just think it's 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 actually slowing the growth of the industry down.
1: Um, I I I think you're generally right. I I will say I also understand the incentives, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of marketers who feel like especially, you know, prominent voices in the in the SEO industry. I'm sure, you know, you you know, the same crowd I'm talking about that Mm -hmm. that's on Twitter and and on the subreddits and in the forums and all these kinds of things and and publishing blog posts and access to information, right? The the same thing that we often criticize in access journalism around politics and news media is true in SEO and and the world of Google as well, right? There's a lot of SEOs who feel like by repeating what Google's representatives say uh, publicly and by failing to investigate or denounce those things that, that are almost certainly not true, right? And very provably not true that they are ingratiating themselves with those individuals and and that relationship, right? If I can tweet to John Mueller and he replies to me or he retweets something I said, then maybe that'll help my business or it helps my reputation or gets me more clients. And so I feel financially dependent on that relationship. It's not something I'm willing to violate, even if I can see that it's obviously you know, an, an untruth that he's sharing. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a tough situation.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I th- I think you're spot on. And, and the presentation you gave at SMX, which, which did highlight how, um, we're kind of transitioning a little bit, but it, it's been very clear that Google is, is your competitor. And I think it comes down to that. I, I don't accuse like John Mueller or any of the representatives of, say, lying per se. But, you I'll, know... I'll do that for you. OK, great. Um, but I do I do I do think that following their following um, what they say um, too closely leads to uh, negative impact on the industry. And one good example um, is SEMrush's link network. Now, I know you're not a you know, pro you know, PBN or link network or any of that type of thing, um, but I am pro testing. I want to see different things come into the market and be popular, um, you know, be, become popularized, implemented and tested. And then if it doesn 't fit into the market, then it goes away right so if it doesn 't f- solve a, s- a problem it 's not a good solution to a problem and it 's not working, it will go away on itself so so s e m rush um, John Mueller um, you know if I have the tweet here he in, inside of Twitter he basically said when um, you know there was a comment and a thread about how SEMrush is starting their own, um, you know, basically a link network. So they started a content network. I'm not sure how familiar you are with this whole scenario. Yeah, yeah. Then they I, also, I saw of,
1: like the roundtable, po- SE roundtable post about it and all that.
0: Yeah. And then um, John Mueller made a tweet about it. Within a week, um, SEMrush ripped down the network because they didn't want to, it, they, they thought it'd turn us so a brand because John Mueller is saying that's the type of, of uh, tactic that would um, cause, I don't have the exact phrasing, but basically that that our link spam team would probably recognize and and take note of. Yeah. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on either that specific scenario, um, or we can talk about um, how you know. Also, they did this with Conductor, um, Raven, Raven. Yeah. yep, back in the day in two thousand eleven ish, I think. Yeah, Moz, same thing. Yeah, I, I want to talk about this Moz one though because um, I didn't know this before you you were mentioned it over the email. But can you talk about what happened around two thousand eleven and thirteen when they were they've kind of stopped some of the product launches and some of the initiatives at Moz and, and what was going on there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, this was at a time when I would say I was transitioning away from a little bit of that, like access journalism,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, problem. So I, you know, I built some relationships with folks at Google in, including Matt cuts and he and I would occasionally email on topics from time to time. Uh, and while I was, you know, CEO of Moz, um, I started to be more more aggressive about questioning Google's public statements. You know, there there were a few Whiteboard Fridays that Matt Cutts didn't like. Um, mm-hmm. There were a few guest posts from folks who you know ran uh, ostensibly link networks and sp- link spam and and those sorts of things, and he didn't like that either. And so, you know, I get messages about it, like, "Hey, I wish you wouldn't promote this. I wish you wouldn't invite." Um, who was it? I think it was back in the day, Bob Raines. I wish you would invite Bob Raines to come speak at your you know, MozCon conference. Um, and I, yeah, I, I took that, I think, the, um, the opposite way that, that Matt Cutts hoped that I would, right? Which was essentially like, you can't tell me what to do. If you don't want someone talking about something publicly, that must mean it's interesting. That mm-hmm. must mean it's worth covering. That must mean there's, there's something worth digging into. Um, and I don't know that I was always right, but I, I don't think Matt would say he was always right, you know, on reflection either. Uh, that being said, one of the, one of the things he was very particular about, and you could see this in the threats that happened with, with Raven tools as well, Mm -hmm. Kevin. So I, for folks who aren't familiar, right. Raven tools did a bunch of rank tracking, just like SEM rush does, just like, you know, um, who else? Systrix does it. Uh, you know, Moz does it. Uh, mm-hmm. Ahrefs does it. Everybody rank tracks, right? Yes. And uh, and to rank track, you you're crawling Google's results, right? Mostly. So you crawl and index Google's results. So you pull things out. Just like Google crawls the web, you crawl Google's web of search results. Um, and this is a very valuable thing to do. You can gain lots of insights from it. Uh, and so Matt basically intimated that uh maz's rank tracking was problematic he did you know it violated their terms of use he thought it was a bad thing john mueller's done the same thing for years mm-hmm. too and so you know of course we we went back to him when we're like hey here's all these these other companies doing it what why why is it not okay for Moz? and <laughs> the reply my favorite reply that i ever got in my email from him was we view you differently why i never got a re- response to that but We view you differently.
0: And so, you know, Moz's
1: board of directors, right? Our investors, Foundry Group, right? Brad Feld, myself, Ignition Partners, Michelle Goldberg, uh, Sarah, we got together. We had a board meeting. We discussed like, okay, what are we what are we going to do? Like, this is essentially Google's head of head of spam threatening us that if we don't, you know, acquiesce to his whims, he didn't he didn't want something put in the Moz bar. I can't remember what that was. Um, we, we sort of, I, I, we had either teased or we had released it and we had to remove it, whatever. Oh, it was page rank. This was back when Google had page rank in the, um, yep. in there. And we were like, Oh, well, we'll show page rank next to MozRank in the, in the toolbar. And he was like, you know, if you do this, we're going to, it wasn't even against their guidelines. He just didn't want it. So, um, we had this board meeting and one of the things we decided was, Hey, we, we need to start going broader than SEO. Cause like this field is sketchy and what if Google shuts all of us down, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was one of the things that started to bias us in a, in a bad business direction, quite honestly, cause we felt that Google was going to take action on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raven tools, same thing. They thought Google was going to take action. So they proactively like removed all their rank tracking, lost a ton of their customers, ended up, you know, going out of business. Um, the, uh, or, sorry, they, they sold. They sold to another company. But um, yeah, this was obviously just bluster because SEMrush and AA Trust took huge advantage of the fact that all, these, all their competitors were scared of what Google was saying. And SEMrush was like, well, I'm not going to worry about Matt cuts and Google. And they were right, right? What, 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 sh- what we should have done was ignored what Matt said.
0: Really, you know, that's, that's really. I'm great that you, I'm so glad that you just said that. That you should have ignored them, and you would your business probably would have been much better off as a result. It would have been possibly larger. No
1: question, like tens of millions of dollars better off.
0: Yeah, and and I think that again, I don't know if conductor's scenario is exactly the same, but um, because they they switched off link building, so they moved from link building to a technology company, for the same reason. Um, I'm launching companies, but I'm launching a link building company, um, you know, with the ideas, it's never going to change. It's always, you're always going to need to do link building, but, um, um, but a lot of companies are moving away from it. Again, SEM rush shut down their. It's not, it's an, it was a network of independent bloggers. Just to be clear, it wasn't a PBN network or there may have been PBNs or, or what, you know, quote unquote PBNs or whatever you define as a PBN these days, um, uh, listed on there. I don't know. I never used the network, but You know, how, what kind of impact would that have had on the market? What kind of impact could Moz have had on the market? What kind of impact could a conductor have had on the market if they just continued going?
1: Yeah, this is a very, very hard thing to know. I I think what the, um, what it fundamentally comes down to is in a diverse, healthy ecosystem of technology and innovation, you don't want one big, powerful entity that can uh, sort of privately, behind the scenes, suppress that innovation activity, right? Mm-hmm. I, like, I like the idea that, that you've got, right, that essentially market forces should dictate it. If customers find it valuable and they're using it, great. That, that leads to further innovation. That leads to furthering the market. Google sort of controlling the puppets behind the scenes creates this um, imbalance and frustration and, and lack of innovation and lack of willingness to invest. Right, I, I think if Google uh, had not been so aggressive in these areas, you'd probably see 20, 50, 100 companies with a million or more dollars in recurring revenue all you know, challenging each other around. Hey, what kinds of link building solutions can we produce? Hey, what kinds of SEO software can we produce? How can we make digital marketing better and easier? And, and very frankly, I'll tell you, I was fundraising uh, for Moz, right? Going to Silicon Valley and, and Boston and New York, pitching all these investors on why they should invest in SEO software. And a huge reason they told me, we're not going to fund you, right? Is like, well, what if Google does X? What if they put bring the hammer down on your business? And yep. very frankly, I didn't have a good response to that, right? That's a, that's a great point. And today I have friends who are fundraising in sectors like child care and hospitality and travel portals and mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, fitness and yoga studio, you know, software and all this kind of stuff. And investors ask them the same kinds of questions. What happens when Google enters your market? Mm-hmm. What, what do you say, right? You say, well, they wouldn't dare. Yeah, they mm-hmm. dare. You bet. Look, look at what they did in jobs, hotels, flights uh mesh networks uh uh phones um you name it right sector after sector video (laughs) my god what they did in video with youtube right um what they've done in news like it it is a very high risk thing to go into a field that google might enter in the future Mm -hmm. and so uh i think in, in this way they shut down a lot of innovation you can see right um uh, Congress last week, and and you know six months ago, and ten months ago, when they were interviewing uh, Sundar uh, Pichai, Pichai, that it was you know these same concerns were being brought up at least by the savvier members of Congress as as real limitations on American entrepreneurship and di- dynamism of the of the field and potential innovation. I I, I think. Look, capitalism can be great, but unregulated capitalism, when you have a monopoly player, is really unhealthy.
0: Yeah, you know, I wanna, this is a good segue. Um, before we, we get off, I would love to talk about and get your, your thoughts around if they do change the regulations um, around like Google, Facebook and all the social networks, what will happen. Love to hear more of your thoughts around that. Um, but before we transition to that, um, you, you said something about the, co- the competitiveness. Um, you know, um, Google is becoming one, um, they're becoming a competitor to a lot of these people who want to use Google, but not, not this also shows that yes, they're a competitor, but their goals do not align with the business goals. If you're an agency, your client's goals are to rank in Google and get as much traffic as possible and ranking or traffic and leads as possible. If, if you're a company, your goals are the company's goals. Um, but Google's goals are different. And it competes and, and contradicts. I think the goals of the companies or the SEOs, um, and this is the. I think this is one of the bigger confusions that people just don't understand. So um, I've watched a couple of the presentation you just did about um, you know, Facebook and Google and, and um, um, you know how there really are. You know uh, I, I don't know that you went too far into competitors, but would you more talk about talk a little bit more about um, even if you're you know, the presentation you did at SEM Rush where you did uh, highlight. Um. Really well. I thought that was a very good presentation. Where you highlighted um, how Google is really stealing your content in many cases and becoming a competitor with your own content at times. Um, you know, what are What are your thoughts on on that competition? And how they're How they're becoming uh, competitive?
1: Yeah. So I think um, this is one of my biggest frustrations with with Google and sort of the Alphabet Corporation is that as they have found right. OK, we've got almost everyone around the world online, right? Mm-hmm. And they continue to, to do so in, um, you know, in poorer nations and in, in countries with less access, but they, they really have dominated. They have ninety five percent plus global market share. Right. When you add all their properties together um, and they are uh, basically starved for growth apart from raw economic growth. Right. So as economies grow around the world, Google can grow as well. But because they're already the default and everyone already sort of puts all this money into you know, their Google ads, Google has to find new and different ways to make money. Mm-hmm. Some of those are awesome. Like, Kevin, I don't know if you have a Pixel phone. As as big a critic as I am of Google, I love what they did with uh, Project Phi, right, which was essentially a hey, let's innovate in this competitive space of sort of phone plans and and they did. They, they like transformed that industry in a lot of ways just by entering and becoming a one percent market player. They pushed companies like Verizon and T-Mobile and everybody to become more generous with their plans and offer more free international plans, all this kind of stuff. Awesome. I love that. That kind of innovation is great. But it's been a few years since I've seen that kind of thing from Google. Google's growth path today. Seems to primarily be identify an industry that generates a lot of revenue and interest and search demand online, and then take that for themselves. Right? Google Jobs is a good example of this. Google Flights is a good example of this. Google Hotels is a really good example of this. YouTube is a great example of this. Google Maps is a good example of this. Um, there's you know a dozen more. I, I think. Um, I'm pretty nervous about Google Podcasts, to be honest. (laughs) I don't know if you are. Obviously, you run one. But this, um, this trend of identifying and entering spaces with data that no one else can see because no one else gets access to what Google has access to, and then using their monopoly in search to basically say, oh, we don't have to compete against everybody else. We can just put our, whatever, flights widget at the top. We can put our knowledge graph at the top. We can put, you know, YouTube at the top. We can put maps at the top.
0: Why do you think they've never been able to successfully do that to Amazon?
1: (laughs) I think they, I know uh, that's a tough question, right? Yeah, I do. I think they have not um, found it to be more profitable to enter e-commerce directly versus sell e-commerce ads. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think selling e-commerce advertising for Google uh, is such a huge win. It's it's so much money for them that Mm -hmm. they don't feel they could go head to head with Amazon, at least not yet, and make more. And I think that's right. The logistics investment alone would be hundreds of billions of dollars right, to catch up. So why not just sell the ads and, you know, keeping the portal?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't plan on asking that question, but your, your line of uh, answers really made me think about why they haven't done it. I agree with you. Um, the ROI might not be there on launching the cost of launching a platform. Um, the mon- amount of money they're making off the, the ads would definitely, you know, what they would lose could probably far outweigh the benefits of what they could gain.
1: Yeah, certainly um, in the short term. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, You know, Google would have to look at that and say, like, oh, man, yeah, maybe 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we'd we'd start to see positive ROI. But how many more opportunities are there in, you know, whatever finance and credit cards, which you saw them enter, right? And banking, which we were seeing them enter and, you know, travel, flights and hotels, right? Which I think when that when that industry comes back, you'll see Google dominated even more and Mm -hmm. all these other ones. Like, I think they just see that there's more. Uh, opportunity in those short term. And who knows, may- maybe we'll see Google try and compete with Amazon. But it wouldn't surprise me if long term, they're just like, no, no, no we'll, we'll take the ad dollars
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and uh, we'll, those are high margin, very, very high margin. We'll just keep that.
0: So the key to keeping Google out of your space competitively is to pay them a shitload of money in Google ads
1: <laughs> or to just be small enough that they don't notice you. Right. That, they, yeah. like, that you're too far down the list of areas they need to uh, compete with. But yeah, like the big ones. Right. Google's got, getting into healthcare. They are getting, you know, finance. They're getting mm-hmm. into travel like the largest sectors of Western economies. They are entering them one by one by one. Um, with the possible ex- exception of of e commerce and hard goods, so
0: so with this um, I, wanted to, I wanted to segue to talking about um, um, a scenario that I saw unfold on Twitter. Um, John Mueller stated basically all guest postings should have no follow links, and then I saw in your tweet um, uh, doctor a couple things this is going this is going to transition to a couple different conversations. Um, first off you and Dr. Pete also, both, uh, um, um you know, very overtly said, Hey, this is stupid, essentially yeah. not to, just like that, but this is stupid. We're not going to follow these rules. Yeah. Moz's traffic continues to increase. So we have John Mueller stating, do not include outbound, no follow, or there must be no followed outbound links on all guest posts. Moz does not have not, no follow outbound links and their organic traffic to those blog posts continue to rise.
1: I think I mean I'm very glad. I'm very, very glad that Moz has not caved on this, right? I think mm -hmm. if you write a piece and Moz editorially approves it and they editorially approve you, then you deserve the citation and the credit for contributing that piece, and your organization should get some benefit from it. And that is exactly the kind of link relationship that Google was built on, that the web was built on. I I think uh, very frankly this is you know one of those cases where is John lying yeah let's just call a spade a spade like he is lying right he is not telling the whole truth he's not telling the truth he's not telling nothing but the truth in a court of law the, the judge should be like you, you're out of here man <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, it is it is just provably untrue and and I think that frankly, I understand the PR perspective Mm -hmm. that that John has, which is basically like, if I say this, people will be afraid of doing the more manipulative and spammy guest posting, and that's really my goal. So just say that, right, Mm -hmm. just focus on that. Tell people you've got systems to determine, because you do, whether something is an authentic uh, contribution. Don't be like, hey, when Al Gore wrote that op-ed for the Washington Post, and he linked back to his um, environmentalism website. We know, you know, we don't count that, and we believe Al Gore is a spammer. Go, go to hell, man! There's no way that's true, right? Like, I know you want that link to exist. I know you want it to count. Don't, don't play these silly games with us. Like, we're we're not idiots. Um, yeah, it just bothers me, right? And be, because then you'll get people amplifying that, right? You'll get. No offense to Barry Schwartz, right, but he will put up a search engine roundtable article that says Google says all guest posts should be no followed and then a bunch of people who don't know anything about SEO will search for should I know follow my guest post and they'll come to this article where this Google representative is saying you should do this and they'll lose out on credit because they didn't understand the nuance of the conversation. And that is that is the worst thing. Right. I don't want some up and coming entrepreneur author uh, contributor to the web to lose out on these opportunities simply because Google is giving us misinformation.
0: You know, this is really interesting because I do. I, you know, um, like um, you brought up SEO, the the roundtable, search engine roundtable, mm-hmm. and how they're they do seem to be perpetuating some of the uh, comments from and amplifying maybe way too much. A lot of the comments coming from Google and John Mueller, and one example of this. I, again i don't want to i didn't want to criticize barry about this but i do think that um he made a, he made a um uh he created a post that says um sem rush is now going to have to change their tactic they're going to have you know i don't remember the exact wording i'm trying to bring it up but um john mueller after making that post they you know unambiguously basically said john mueller is right this type of company shouldn't exist well, without the idea that this type of company could um, evolve or change how we do link building, or at least expand, you know, expand the market, but instead, his comments actually hurt. I think, and and another contributing factor in SEMrush pulling down that network. And I, I just, you know, I think there's a lot of SEOs out there that are overly supporting blindly. Um, I, I wouldn't say Barry short he's a very smart person, so I wouldn't say blindly, but. Um, yeah, I do I mean, agree with you. I think there's SEOs contributing to this
1: too. So I think I think that uh, Barry plays a significant role in helping Google's misinformation get amplified, and and he does mm-hmm. so w- without really intending to. Right, his goal is to uh, share what Google said and what's newsworthy, right? And so um, the the challenge is in a world where a monopoly controls propaganda. I think that that journalists and reporters of which Barry would say he's not really one. Right. He's he's a he's a news publisher, but not necessarily a journalist or reporter himself. Right. I I think that the obligation of a journalist is to is not to say, you know, whatever it is. John Mueller says it's raining outside. Rand Fishkin says it's sunny. That's not the job of a journalist. Don't report that. Instead, say John Mueller falsely says it is raining outside. Rand Fishkin and others say it is sunny. We at news publisher have confirmed it is sunny. Mm-hmm. Right? That—that's the the job of a journalist. And and I think the both sidesism, you know, whether that applies to politics or whether it applies to our space of, of uh, you know Google trust and news it is very important. And unfortunately, we don't have we don't have in the um, web marketing space digital marketing space a consistent publication that does that sort of you know fact finding and i don't know uh truth investigation and so we sort of have to rely on a network of people who occasionally will question uh those findings or or publish their own dr pete being a a great example of that
0: yeah so with that you when you built Moz, it to me it seems like just because of the people i've um you know, I, I've either followed or I've read their, their work coming out of Moz as employees or um, whatever they might be with Moz, but an integral part of the team. It seems like you built a culture that, um, and I can only attribute to you because you built it from the ground up, um, and the culture really is that we don't take shit from Google. and <laughs> and
1: Except for it, those uh, few years in 2011 to 13 when we yeah. When we did, and it really <laughs> sent us the wrong way. Yes, yeah.
0: We we need to build. I believe we need to build a culture in our with our SEO community that does the same thing. We need to take what Rand did with SEM uh, 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 with Moz's, um community. That that you know, you really showed that we need to challenge Google, and then I think we need to take that and then amplify it across all SEO communities. We need uh, we need to to really expand this idea and what you've done, and I would love to see that to come to fruition. That the whole purpose of this. This podcast and what I'm doing is really trying to bring these things to light, so we can expand our SEO industry and, and get back to the point where, you know, where it was in 2005 when you could actually generate short-term revenue out of your SEO yeah. program, right? And and not care what Google said, but you would do whatever you had to to get that, um, you know, make that money, if you want to put it like that, or you know, get get that ranking so they can get the organic traffic, so you can get leads as a result or, or sales. Uh, Kevin, How- I'll give
1: I'll give you a great example of this. I I think uh, this will make you. Maybe a little sad, it made me sad, I, I just got, I got an email 45 minutes ago for a, I'm not going to out who it was from, sure. but um, it, it was a, a conference, a digital conference, online conference that I was speaking at. In fact, I recorded a presentation with their team uh, a few weeks ago. And it, it said, uh, you know, the, the person writes to me and says, I wanted to get in touch regarding your presentation. Thanks for recording it. There's tons of valuable practical advice in there, but a few points were raised by our PR team. Our policy is not to communicate political topics surrounding Facebook, which slides ten and eleven cover since Mm -hmm. we're an official marketing partner to Facebook, it's tough for us to communicate that they're not an in your corner marketing partner and blah, blah, like basically a sorry, we can't really criticize this company because they're a partner of ours. The tragedy is, right, this really stifles the potential for us to be critical of the companies, the, the monopolies, right? That duopoly in the case of Facebook and Google with online advertising that control our worlds. And you know, that sucks. I think, you know, unfortunately I, re- I replied and was like, hey man, I, I like you a lot. I like your organization a lot. I'd love to work with you in the future, but I'm not willing to compromise the message, right? Like I, you're gonna have to find someone else to speak at your event. Cause mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not changing this. Um, and you know, maybe does? Um, that's Good. a that's a tough situation. Like, I I don't think the person who wrote back to me, I don't think that that's what they want at all. I'm not even sure mm-hmm. that's what the PR team thinks. Right. And I've had this happen. I was at a conference last year uh, on the East Coast where I gave a presentation. There was someone there from Google. They were very upset because they were sponsoring the event. Uh, thankfully, the the people running the conference decided, like, screw it, we don't care. We'd rather have Rand up there telling his truth than, you know, I don't know whether it's everybody's truth, but it's my truth, right? That mm-hmm. that, that there's all these problems rather than take Google's money for the sponsorship, um, which I thought was amazing, right? And I, I I hope more people are willing to do that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. Thinking, reflecting back you know, bringing it back to the culture at Moz, what do you think was the catalyst for, you know, creating that culture? Um, you know, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but, yeah. you know, um, you know wh- how do you, you know, was it, was it something just consistency over time, repeatedly, you know, um, um, communicating the message internally to your team? Was there a formal, um, you know, was it formalized at all? Or was it something just built out naturally because of, you know, ha- being a charismatic leader uh, and, and a manager?
1: Uh, so I, yeah, I don't know if I'm necessarily all that charismatic depends on who you ask. Um, but <laughs> I do think, I do think that by publishing so frequently on these topics and by sort of having a viewpoint that many people followed, I attracted like-minded folks, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that, that people like Russ Jones and Brittany Muller and, you know, Dr. Pete and and all these folks, right, who who came to Moz were in many ways brought to that company by, Reading what I was writing and and following me online and seeing me at conferences and events and and being like, yeah, that that resonates with me. That's my kind of style as well. And I want to, you know, whatever, um, help with that. Uh, David Mim, Joanne Hawkins, right? Like all these wonderful contributors that that Moz has had in the past and still has today. Um, I think that those folks found that message resonant. I think this is actually one of the best reasons to be very transparent with your values and your approach and your, you know, the content that you put out there as opposed to sort of, you know, it's very popular to be like professional and, and non-opinionated, right? When you're, when you're publishing um, on your blog or whatever. And I don't, I don't believe in that at all. And I don't think that works nearly as well. I don't think it brings the right people to your team or gets the wrong people off your team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like when my work does that.
0: Yeah, I I think you did a good job. Whether you knew it or not, that culture that I think built is a really important one that we got to shine some light on. And that there are there is a culture out there of it. Unfortunately, in the link building space, is as one. So one of my companies I built in link building, uh, you know, really focusing on um, hyper focusing on link building. And I know eventually Google's going to say something about it once we get big enough. I mean, um, but the. The number of link builders out there who won't say anything online. They won't even engage with the general community. And it's like um, I was talking to um, Christoph Kemper um, from Link Research Tools, and he was on my last. I was on the last episode we had, and um, which will hopefully be published uh, in a week. And we were talking about um, really link builders are. It's almost like they don't want to engage inside the community. Like really smart link builders out there who, so no, maybe they're maybe they're paying for links or. Um, you know, or something like that. But they have some great insights on in what's working, but they're afraid to come forward. One, because you know, they, if they, if John Mueller or another representative picks up on them, they're going to target them. Potentially, could target them. Um, and I think that we need to, we need to allow these people the voices. I guarantee, there's a lot of people. There are people out there so much smarter than me when it comes to off-page SEO. Um, you know, smarter than you. Sm- you know, really smart people. Oh, yeah. They're just not coming forward. You're not saying anything and it's driving me insane. Yeah. Um, I think,
1: I mean, a lot of that is the culture of silence that Google propagates by, by taking actions against folks who do speak up. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, that's very frustrating, right? Because in my opinion, if Google let them speak and was not punitive in their um, targeting, they would in fact learn a tremendous amount, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're, spam teams and their search quality teams would learn a lot from those discussions and potentially make their search search engine even better. I think this is one of the frustrating. Another frustrating part about um, monopoly power is that it immunizes you from needing to listen or engage. Mm -hmm. Right. You just you just don't. And um, yeah, I think I think Google's power, their influence has made them arrogant. Uh, in a lot of these ways and, and unwilling to have these conversations. And they've, you know, hey, uh, look, they've obviously built an incredibly successful company by shutting down these sorts of conversations. <laughs> so maybe, you know, maybe their uh, public market investors would say, shut the hell up, Kevin and Rand and, and stop telling Google how to do their job. Um, but I don't know, I, I wish it were otherwise. I think uh, I think when there was more competition between Google and Bing, Mm-hmm. For example, or at the time MSN search, right, there was a lot more opportunity for these kinds of conversations to flourish. Um, I think there was even more in the very early days, you know, oh yeah, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, like when there was four or five search engines with 10% plus market share.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, you put, you, you raise a really good point and I think it is that Let's let's face it. Google's algorithm doesn't work the way they expect it to work, or they would ideally want it to work. Um, so it sounds like, how are they compensating for that? Well, they're shutting down anything it, that doesn't that it doesn't work to uh, algorithmically, you know, filter out. Which in this case would happen to be link building. So they're basically, I, I think we know link building works. They know link building works, and as in in many scenarios, not every you know everything's not you know. Not everything's the same and not every situation is the same, but it's a broad statement. It does have a tendency to work in many scenarios. Um, but it sounds like I think the, the, the ultimate example of, of why um, or that we shouldn't be listing Google is that I think they're afraid that it does work and they need to shut it down culturally because they can't yeah. shut it down with their algorithm.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, I think, I think that is definitely true. And I also think they, they've sort of learned over time, like, hey, we can spend whatever, three or four years shutting it down publicly, and then our algorithm will catch up to that thing. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that, I, I don't know whether that's the, the best approach. It certainly feels to me like in a world where, you know, Google's the world leader in artificial intelligence and, and machine learning, right? They should be faster than that. You know, you, you and I should be able to feed them a bunch of whatever we could feel, feed a great deep learning system like like the ones Google has a bunch of examples of things we want to count and don't. And Google should be able to very rapidly say, oh, yes, we're going to count this whatever Al Gore contribution to The Washington Post. No, we're not going to count this, you know, Rand Kevin spam electronics hyphen info dot
0: net you know, whatever it is. Yeah, and I'll just um, we'll close out this this um, you know segment of the interview with with this comment from uh, Ben, um, I believe it's Gomez from Google. So on a CNBC interview, he said, "You can view the quality rater guideline, greater guidelines, as where we want the search algorithm to go. They don't tell tell you how the algorithm is ranking. So a lot of the things that they're saying out there is not how the ranking algorithm uh, the algorithm actually ranks, but it but um, it it's where they would like it to go. I think that sums up." And and solidifies what you and I are talking about perfectly. Yeah. So, last topic I'd love to get into technology. Um, you're, I feel like you're the perfect guy to talk about tech with technology. Um, not just in the SEO industry. I do want to talk about because I th- I think technology. The reason why I'm I'm, I'm going down this path is um, technology in the SEO space is very limited. It has not advanced the way it should have advanced and. If you've looked at the, the um, market cap for what SEO is and the spending on SEO, it's slowed down a lot over the last five to six years. The rate of oh, yeah? growth has slowed. Yeah I can send you, I can send you the um, source after, but um, the amount of spending in the SEO industry has decreased um, or has slowed, excuse me, it hasn't decreased, it has slowed the rate of increase since okay, uh, 2010. Okay. Sure. Um, so it's like each you know, smaller percentage growth each year. So I think one of the reasons that is, um, it's hard to justify SEO programs and and get those running like a PPC program where you can, you know, turn it on and then all of a sudden get sales in the door in a month or two months. I think technology is the key to that problem. Uh, uh, So I think through automation is the key to the problem. And one key category I believe we're missing is SEO performance automation, meaning software that authentically automates your, 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 uh, your SEO efforts, right. Mainly off page, which is the hardest part, but, but there's other things out there. So what I'm getting at is technology, um, is probably one of the biggest, the, the biggest areas we need to evolve in SEO and in any industry. Um, and now I think AI and machine learning is the solution for that. Where I, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't think robotic process automation, probably on the, uh, on the, in the base level, but. ML and AI are probably the key areas. Do you feel that's question number one. Do you feel like there's a huge opportunity, not just in the SEO space, but in the marketing technology space um, to leverage ML and AI? And where do you see that going? Yeah, it's a
1: big question. Okay, so let me answer the first part, which is what about in SEO specifically? And I think I think you're absolutely right. I am shocked I'm kind of infuriated. I put together a proposal years ago for for Moz to do like a big machine learning thing with with page specifically. Um, I know that uh, the guys who built the new MozScape Index had some plans for using ML uh, specifically to identify the links that were most likely to move your rankings up. So if you gave a target keyword and a, a target SERP, they would go analyze the links of like. You know, here's what ranks here, here's what doesn't, here's it. what's missing from your page and site in order to get into those results, right? They had this model for it, never got the investment. Um, and I th- I think that, that, that those are big missed opportunities. A big part of that for sure is that very few investors are willing to put money into SEO software companies. Uh, the SEO software space still hasn't had a unicorn player in it, and so... <laughs> Uni, you know, unicorn, yep. right. I know, conductor has
0: been the biggest uh, market lead, closest to the market leader in the last report, the Forcer report. So they, I, I wouldn't trust that uh,
1: as far as I could, I don't know, kick it. I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so SEM rush is about four times the size of Conductor um, in terms of uh, overall revenue. I think Moz and Conductor are very similar in revenue size, around 50 million dollars a year.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I'm not sure. Actually, I don't know after the WeWork stuff. Um,
0: I don't either. Yeah, I yeah.
1: Heard So that's sense. that's it's hard to say because they got you know sucked into WeWork and then split okay. back out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I know they were smaller than Maz d- when that acquisition happened, for example. And Moz was you know a Treffs is bigger than Moz, Sam Rush is bigger than Maz. Um, so I, the Forrester report, I'd be like, eh? um, I would also, yeah, I would also say the um, in terms of where you know where the, the field is going, my sense is that there's a lot of wars on the on the like data aggregation side, but not on the ML side right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm not I'm not exactly sure why that is. Uh, I will say more broadly speaking around marketing technology. It's really weird for me to say, "Oh, yeah, I agree with you." There's a lot of opportunity because SparkToro is in is very non ML AI. Like we're very, ju- very much just, "Hey, there's this huge source of data. Let's aggregate it and make it transparent to people." Maybe in the further out future, right, we'll find great applications for for machine learning and AI. I think for for us, right, it it is about aggregation and data transparency and mm-hmm. making a source of data that's never been available before available to people. Um, but I, y- you can see a ton of investment and a lot of positioning, like everybody who goes to a VC, right? Is like, oh, we have, you know, this ML AI data solution, blah, 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 blah. And like,
0: it's RPA, man. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. It's sort of, I don't know. It's
1: like a, you know, how a few years ago, everything was, um. Not, not crypto, but the the underlying uh, tech behind crypto blockchain the, Yeah, blockchain, right Everything was blockchain for a while now everything everything's AI now and you know everything was voice search a few years ago in SEO. before that everything was mobile first and mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I, I think I think the I think the automation, whatever it is, so there's a category here of automation and i think the automation is a future in a lot of marketing technologies i I believe it so much i literally launched a uh, um, uh, automation dev company just so i could build out our own technologies and fund it and get it at a lower cost um you know so i'm a big advocate of just building the things that you need um like you know if you want to build a big home you build a contracting company you can get a home cheaper right so same idea um but I, i do believe that automation whatever form it takes is really where we're lacking Hmm. Um, data aggregation, I think, is yes, it's great. I think that um, you're, you have a unique angle with Sparktor. I've tried it; I love it. Cool. Um, for, for a certain application, like I wanted, to, uh, I don't remember why I was digging in, but I love digging into random data, um, data that I haven't had before. It's just fun. But I, um, you know, with the with the automation, I think that um, marketing technology in the marketing technology space. One guy I knew, a CEO of um, a large POS company. Um, he would not invest in marketing automation he Was very vocal about never wanting to invest in marketing because you could always just cancel tomorrow. And there was no barrier for them. Like if they had to switch companies, marketing technology companies. Um, and I think this is one of the problems why we're not getting enough investments in the space. Is It's not like a POS where if you have to, if the restaurant has to change your POS system, it's a year long process. If you have yeah. to t- if you have to change your spark to- Toro it's well, I mean, you probably can't get the same data, but it's, yeah it's that i think that the investors i believe that that they're obsessed
1: they're obsessed i believe foolishly obsessed with uh raw monthly churn Mm -hmm. like they don't they do not think about what's the total lifetime value of a customer they think about that person quit one month i i don't like that churn rate i am unwilling to look at a business based on its overall potential We're, we're the total opposite like Kevin, I don't give a crap. I want you to come try SparkToro. I want you to find it valuable, use it for a month, quit. And I hope that maybe you'll recommend it to somebody. And then maybe in two Mm -hmm. years, you'll come back when you need it again. And I don't mind losing you for all that time period in between because I created something valuable for you and you got value from it and we got some dollars from you. Is it is it really that terrible that instead of getting whatever, 20 bucks a month from you over three years, we got 150 bucks over, you know, in two months of those three years. Mm-hmm. I don't care. That doesn't matter to me. right? I don't need that, that perfect attribution. I want to serve people. And I think, I think that that model, um, despite being very unfriendly for venture investors because of how they view things um, and how they need things to work, I think it can be hugely impactful for customers, for teams, for people who are building independent sorts of SaaS businesses, zebras instead of unicorns. As, um, yeah, yeah. Adopted like that, that terminology us. a lot, right? And like that—that um, that excites me. Like I, I am so unexcited about building another monopoly, and mm-hmm. I am so interested in helping thousands of small businesses and individuals succeed.
0: Yeah, and and you know to to talk about these VAs, the VAs I think we are well investors in general. Um, you know, I think there are, some of them are afraid of the marketing space because of that. I think the metrics they're using to evaluate the success or, fi- uh, or failure of their portfolios, um, like you said, if it's just churn, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's the right way to look at marketing technologies. Or you have people that are, are saying, look, I'm just not going to do marketing technologies because it's so easy to get rid of the company. But I will say this, are marketing technologies, I think, and this is where it maybe it should go, marketing technologies that are actually harder to get rid of. And I think these are going to be, um, they aren't out there yet. I don't think we have enough of them. Um, sure. You might, you know, marketing automation softwares like, um, Oh God, I think, can't think some of the sure, Hubs HubSpot a, is a, yeah, yeah, a great example. Robust, you have to do a robust setup. So it's harder yeah. to get rid of those types of companies. I think that's the space, um, you know, and I think automation is going to get us there. So for example, um, let's say you have to hire a 10 person team just to set up and build your own email marketing campaigns, yeah. right? And you have these full lists, so people have to go in, they have cleaned the lists um, of the 25, 30,000 people, um, you know, build that list and build your, camp- your email campaigns based on the segmentation, yada, yada, yada. That would take, you know, it could take two, three people a month to do if your lists really? and your campaigns were big enough.
1: I mean, but Kevin, don't you kind of hate services that are hard to quit? Like personally?
0: Uh, I, no, I do personally do, but it's not that it's made or designed to be hard to quit. Uh, it's the it 's the um, scale and implementation of service i 'm not talking about these these softwares that basically like group high. they once got us into an annual campaign and refu- they 'd never notified us of their renewal and then very veryy yeah. they, they got us into an automatic renewal and then and complained when I wanted a refund and the cancel yeah that's that 's different than you 're talking about
1: high switching costs yes it 's just yeah just because it 's the, so the core high exactly. switching costs. exactly
0: so I, I think that a lot
1: of Investment will go towards high switching cost types of businesses and many will build them. And I'm much more excited by low switching cost businesses, right? Like Mm -hmm. Personally, I'm more excited about those because I think other people aren't investing in them because I think they don't see the opportunity that exists to build a MailChimp. MailChimp is so easy to get off and on. Yeah, you could you could turn it off and on all the time, but people don't. Right. It's because it's a great product and a good price and they do lots of wonderful things for you. And even though they have 50,000 competitors that you could easily switch to, they, they built an incredible business.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I'm much more excited about those kinds of like low switching costs. There's no there's no fundamental baked in reason you need to stick with them. You stick with them because they're valuable. You come back to them because yeah. they're valuable. You quit. You sign up, you quit, you sign up, awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's, I uh, agree 100%. And so if, in, in with those types of businesses, the really low cost is shifting. Um, what do you think is the key to creating a company like that in the SEO space or in technology and software and SaaS in general and, and, and building it? Because again, we're at high risk. All these VCs yeah. or the investors are saying these are too high risk. You can't keep your customers lo- long enough. So what I do you say you to should- them?
1: I think you should reject traditional types of investment. I think you should, you know, there's bootstrapping, there's crowdfunding, there's uh, alternative sorts of uh, investors. There's, there's um, the way SparkToro did it, which is, which is very unique. We published our methodology and open source those docs and a, a few other companies have, have raised money in similar ways. I, I'm excited about that. I think uh, you have to build a great brand, right? That people know you, like you, trust you. Uh, I think you need to build a unique, a way of providing value that is unique from your competition, right? So um, I think MailChimp did this very early on with like their benchmarking tools and with the ease of use of the product and the friendliness of it. Um, And I think that those are are big triggers as well. Uh, And and I would say I think there's a a huge degree of customer support and friendliness that can also be a, a winning combination there. But you know you gotta you gotta sort of be a pretty awesome company to your employees and customers to be able to build that and as opposed to you know some of these lower you know harder switching costs higher switching cost types of businesses where you can be comcast right and yeah like total piece of crap but what are you gonna do there's no other you know provider around here you're kind of you're locked in you've got to pay us mm-hmm. eh.
0: Yeah, I, the, the competition angle, I, I agree. It's kind of a pain in the ass and I don't like it. Like if I was stuck with one person, the product sucked, yeah, No, but I think there's also a market I, here's where I think that I would love to see uh, investors. And I'm sure there'll be some listening to this um, and and SEO technologists or, or, or innovators is um, I think we got to solve bigger problems. And you know, as I'm talking, to you this thought is starting to, to uh, come into fruition because these these easier to switch platforms. They don't solve big enough problems. They solve small problems. Mailchimp is solving the problem of I need to get I have an email list. I'm going to build, yeah. and I need to get that out to my audience and manage that list. So I don't have to send a thousand emails in Google. Solves that one problem. The bigger problem, which uh, you know I think is is it'll also make it harder for you to switch off of these companies. The bigger problem is, all right, I'm a CMO. Um, at a Fortune 500 company, I need to launch in a, a massive email marketing campaign across my entire organization, um, across divisions. Um, what technologies will solve that and make it so I could roll that out with one person instead of a team of 30?
1: Um, and, and in a lot of cases, right, those folks are like, yeah, I'll you know, go to Exact Target, I'll go to HubSpot, right? I'll go to these enterprise solutions. Um, HubSpot's a little more mid-market, but they're 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 climbing up that enterprise chain, uh, and I think I think that there's opportunity in both sectors, right? Agreed. So I, I think the problem is the investment currently is biased to a model that exclusively rewards unicorns over a diverse field of competitive companies that you know make tens or hundreds of millions of dollars instead of billions of dollars,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I want to see. I wanna live in a world that funds and rewards and supports those millions and tens of millions of dollar businesses far more than it supports the billion dollar unicorns. Because I don't think those are healthy for us or our economy. I don't think they're healthy for income inequality. I don't think they're healthy for society or politics. I don't think they're healthy for competition. All the things we talked about in the first half of this call are exacerbated by that you know, monopoly power that Google has or Facebook has. I don't want to see. That's not the world I want to participate in. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're a venture investor and you want to kill 98 companies to have two succeed, fine, whatever, like, don't bother me about it. (laughs) But if you're excited about a different kind of future where a bunch of companies can make money and, and have great lives for their teams and their employees and last for a long time and create these diverse marketplaces. Awesome. Like I am 100% there with you. I hope I make enough money so that I can fund your business.
0: Yeah. I think, um, you know, that's, that's, a, you know, that's a really good place to, I'd say, end the call because, um, I appreciate the investment of your time in this call.
1: Oh, uh, well, Kevin, <laughs> uh, you are uh, so much fun to talk to. I feel like we could go on for hours and, and, uh, we clearly, we clearly have a lot of shared perspectives on this stuff and a bunch of history. So, um, I really appreciate you having me
0: yeah and thanks for challenging i think you challenged some of my ideas on technology i i feel like this is a podcast that would have been a podcast in and of itself i wish i had another hour to really get down and discuss technology and business in the marketing space because it's um it's that's where my passion my future is just launching products in in the marketing space as well but how what is it going to look like yeah i can't um, wait to see what you build so with the um with that um If you want to leave anybody with, um, you know, how they can find your book, um, how they can access SparkToro or sign for free. And or if um, if you want people to contact you under what circumstances um, could they and should they?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I love chatting with folks. My email is Rand at SparkToro.com. I'm easy to reach. Uh, If you want to give SparkToro a free spin, you can uh, we have a forever free plan. You can just run searches, see how it works for you at SparkToro.com. Uh, and if you want to follow along with all my things that I share and talk about and complaints about the venture capital industry and Google, uh, you can find that on Twitter, where I'm most active, at Randfish.
0: Well, um, thank you for standing up for the little guys on uh, um, in Google. I appreciate it. It is your time.
1: my honor. I love doing it.